Hello everyone, Simon Jacobson here and welcome to another episode of Wednesday Night Live, which of course is also archived and available on all the platforms, social media and so on. We'll be speaking about a very intriguing topic. Again, one of those topics that is so affects us in our lives and at the same time so few discuss it and is often ignored when it really has very far-reaching implications. And the topic is morality. The way it's titled is, What Does the Bible Really Say About Morality? We'll soon explain why we go to the Bible, above all because of its original roots that go back thousands of years, literally at the early stages of the developments of civilization. So when you talk about the word morality itself, you know, we all use the word very loosely and lightly. We just throw it out there, morality, a moral person, not a moral person. But when you begin to think about it, the word morality itself is filled with all kinds, fraught with, I would even say, with all kinds of unclear definitions. What exactly defines morality? What is morality? Is morality something that's relative or absolute? We have the concept of moral relativism. Can we all, can we, are there values, are there moral values that we all agree upon? Can there be a behavior that some would consider moral and others would consider immoral? Is there anything universal about it? And if there isn't, how then can we have a negotiation or agreement for coexistence if we have so many different, diverse, and even conflicting definitions of, of morality? So understanding the standards that we have is vital to understanding what morality, of course, is. Now the questions go on and on, and they affect and have impact in every aspect of life, personal life, family life, our business lives, our social lives, national and international relations. There's no area, virtually no area, where these questions do not have impact. You can even argue that the basis of all conflict and discord and wars begin at the root when there are disagreements in what a value is. Well, some people think it's one thing, others think otherwise, and there's a conflict, there's a clash. So that's why it's so vital to address because it affects our lives in every possible way. So what I do what I will be doing, as I always do in this program, is try to go to the root of it all, to trace the roots, and try to understand morality at its core. How does it relate to the human psyche, to who we are? Being moral, does that make you a healthier person? Is it simply a way for us to coexist, or there's spiritual and deeper cosmic elements to morality? And again, the list goes on and on. And our goal here is to come away with a clear understanding of the word, how it affects our lives, and to make choices that are better and healthier choices, to both to enhance our own lives, to grow, and also grow our relationships and interactions with everyone around us and the world itself. So why do we go to the Bible? Because the Bible is perhaps the first documented code, moral code, that has been documented 
and passed on generation and perpetuated generation after generation. When you read, especially the early chapters of Genesis, both what was expected of human of mankind by God and how mankind betrayed themselves and their destiny and their calling, you get a very clear moral compass of what is right and what is wrong. And based on that moral compass, we come to understand elements of the human being itself because let's start with the most important question. Why is it important to be moral? Is it just because we have a conscience? We feel bad if we hurt somebody? Is there something deeper to it? And the answer is absolutely yes. So from a biblical perspective, just to, to lay out the history of the Bible and it's so much connected to how the evolution of civilization and society embracing or not embracing different moral principles. So you have this story, of course, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and they're told not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, I'm not going to get into all the mystical and cosmic and, and, and different uh, profound interpretations in that narrative, but I will address is the basic thing, good and evil. Good and evil. That there are two voices or two forces in life that are all about what's right, what is wrong. Adam and Eve then proceeded and ate from the tree of knowledge. They were tempted and they ate from it. Which of course symbolizes the loss of innocence, the first time of defying their own calling, that which they were commanded, the mandate that they were given was to serve and protect. Instead, they defied God's command and they chose to do something wrong. From there on, when you continue reading the story, you come away with is a devolution, devolving of more and more transgression to the point at the end of Genesis, the world has become so corrupt that God determines he's going to send a flood. We've talked about this a number of different times, that the flood was not just a punishment. It was a cleansing, cause and effect. At some point, immorality begins to poison, toxify, contaminate the society. We're talking about theft, robbery, murder, immoral sexual relations. The whole fabric of society is built on some type of guidelines, some moral code, and all that deteriorated. After the flood, Noah and his family rebuild life. And then we find the first moral paragon, the ultimate moral paragon, even though Noah had elements of it, Noach is tzaddik, he was a righteous man. That's why God chose him to rebuild the human race. Abraham. Abraham begins the moral paragon, basically the, the, you can say the, the pioneer of monotheism, bringing the concept of ethics, kindness, justice. That which we all cherish today, the 20, 21st century, all began with Abraham. And not to the point of just philosophically, but he built a family and a community around these principles, defying, defying his own parents and family and community and society, which were pagan. And it was far more self-oriented, self-interest, egocentric in, instead of divine-centric. Now, divine-centric, important to mention here, and I'll talk about it some more shortly, is something greater than yourself. It is the basic foundation of all morality. And then the story continues where you have the choices people made. Some of them were beautiful choices and they did choose good and some chose not good. So what defines morality in that context? 
It comes down to what is healthy and what is the right way for human beings to behave. So it's not just a jungle, free for all. Everyone can decide how they want to behave. No. Just like a machine is built by an engineer with a particular objective and particular guidelines, the machine has parts. And these parts have to be lubricated, have to be used properly, cannot be abused. In some cases, cannot, for example, be underwater or other factors that will compromise that machine. So what you'd say is whatever makes that machine work better is good for the machine. It's what the engineer wanted for that machine, the builder of that machine. Whatever destroys the machine or causes it to be uh, compromised or not at full capacity, it would be cons- we would consider as being inappropriate. Think of morality and immorality exactly in those terms. The machine that we're talking about is life. Your life, my life, every individual life, our collective life. And there are ways that make this machine work well. And there are ways that make it not work well. So morality would be essentially, if, you take, if we could replace that word, we would say it is what the behavior and actions, and you can even say speech and thoughts, everything that we are capable of doing that enhances life. And immorality is everything that undermines life. Now you may say, one second, there are certain behaviors that we can argue about and say, that, I don't think that compromises life. Well, that's why the Bible is very strong and does have a certain absolute element, even though there's room for relative interpretations, but there are certain absolute things that are unacceptable. Let's just take the most basic that most of us could agree, even though many of us will not agree. The commandment, do not murder. We all understand it's more complicated than that. What happens in time of war? The self-defense. So we wouldn't call that murder. That's called self-defense. But still, you may be taking the life of another person. So you'd say it's not an innocent life. So we can all agree, or at least most of us can agree, that murder of an innocent person, not in self-defense, not in time of war, would be considered an immoral act. Now even that can be challenged, which I'll get to shortly as well. But let's just assume we agree upon that, the way I just phrased it. What is, so what is the essence of morality? Not just a nice thing to do. It destroys life. In this case, killing for no reason. And an innocent person. And not in self-defense. And not in time of war. Where there will be collateral damage, unfortunately. And even innocent people may get killed in the, in the course of things, of events. But in the case, you don't have any of that. So immorality is essentially destroying the machine, destroying a life. Destroying another life affects not just that life but, and, his, and his or her family, but also us, because all, we're all part of one large organism. And if one is, part is hurting, the rest hurts. That's a fundamental, basic, biblical principle in morality. It gets complicated, however, because you'll say, one second, there were times... That was not necessarily war, but nations decided what's called ethnic cleansing. The Nazis used the term to destroy the germs, the impure, toxic human beings that contaminate society. So what would be the argument against that? I'm talking about the purely theoretical argument. Obviously, it's so obscene. And we all understand who gives you the right to determine who's the germ. 
But think of it this way. You have white blood cells that will attack mercilessly any germ that affects and attacks the body. And we don't see that as a bad thing. We see it as a good thing. So the German twisted Aryan philosophy was that there are certain elements in society that are subpar, inferior, and they contaminate, they compromise the purity of the human race. They would call the Aryan race. What is our philosophical argument besides the fact that you can't do, you, you have no right to make that decision? It's not that simple. We all understand it's twisted. We all understand it's obscene. It's completely horrendous. That is why when you look in the Bible, the Ten Commandments, you don't begin, do not murder. It begins with, I am your God. There's a higher authority we answer to. The founding fathers of the United States drew from that when they wrote the words, all men are created equal in the Declaration of Independence. And based on that, they have an inalienable rights endowed to them by the Creator, the pursuit of happiness and rights and so on, and freedoms. Why did they understand? Not from a religious perspective. That if you don't have that bedrock, then everyone can come and decide, you know what, maybe some people are not that equal. Or their circumstances. As I said, war, self-defense, even there, there are all kinds of nuances. But let's for, assume, for a moment put that aside and say we understand the exception. But what happens when it goes a step further like the Nazis did, or others have done? There, you need to have something that you are not God. You didn't create life, therefore you cannot determine when life is taken. And I'm specifically using murder. When you get to theft and robbery, which some could argue is not quite murder, but it's the same idea. You're compromising another individual and their property and what they've earned and what they own. And the same with other immoral behaviors. I'm specifically using ones that we can relate to because there's plenty that we can argue whether something is even immoral in the first place. So all of it has to be built on a foundation and the foundation is that the engineer of the machine said, I built it in a certain way. Treat it well, it grows and flourishes and thrives. Treat it not well, it destroys it. And that would be the essential core definition of morality and immorality. Now, we human beings have adapted that in our own institutions, in our own governments, in our own laws and rules of society. But, as I said, if you don't have that foundational element, morality can become quite relative. So take any scenario today. We can have arguments upon arguments. Should suicide, God forbid, be allowed? Pusha says, I'm not hurting anyone else. I'm a single person. No one will be hurt by me. And yet, we have determined, even in a free society, no, we don't let a person take their own life. Because there's something the matter if someone does. That's something matter with our society. But you can argue the point. We're not talking about that it's a good or bad thing, but what right do we have to tell a person? But we have come to the consensus that it's unhealthy for a society to allow that. And if someone is in that place, we feel bad for that person, but we have to do everything possible to stop them from behaving in that fashion. Abuse. The person says, my family, we all are happy, but there's abuse going on. The same thing. Now you'll find areas where there are arguments. Some say, it's none of your business what's going on in my bedroom. It's none of your business what's going on, what I read, where I go to, how I behave. So there the argument would be, as long as you're hurting another person, you may be right. 
But is that correct or is that simply an easy way out? So morality compels us to actually get into and address the very essence of who we are and what makes us tick. So I'll take this a step beyond. If morality was to mean anything, it has to mean that it's driven by, one, what I've said till now, by an engineer who tells us what's good for the machine, but there's something even more important. Why did the engineer build this in the first place? Why is it that you can't just take a computer and put it into a bathtub filled with water? Because the computer has a particular function. And by doing that, it will undermine its function, its purpose, its mission. A human being to crawl into a bath is part of being clean, is part of our lives. So the same thing can be applied in morality and immorality. And morality is not where it begins to be a moral person, as beautiful and, and, uh, and important as that may be. It begins, are you fulfilling your calling? So if a person feels they have no calling, they don't answer to anyone. So yes, they may abide by the rules of red lights and green lights not to get arrested or other deterrents, deterrents but it's not a fundamental moral behavior. It's one based on circumstances, and if I can get away with it, I try to get away with it. Some people obviously are more naturally ethical than others. Maybe they're wired that way. Obviously, it's a virtue. But when you take it a step further, you say no, that if you don't have a sense of purpose in life, meaning you feel, I'm just here by accident, just came to the world. So of course morality is going to mean less to you. You may still be a moral person by choice, by education, by culture, by your homes, by, by, by the environment you grew up in, but it's not lying at the core of who you actually are. It's what you do. You have to be a mensch. You have to be a kind person. But if you see it, that life has purpose, and you and I were sent into this world to fulfill a particular function, particular mission, then morality takes on the shape it's going to help you fulfill that mission, and immorality will help undermine that mission. So you see, when you think of it that way, it takes on a whole different level and scope. Now, of course, there, is, there are situations where you can interpret morality in different ways, but the real litmus test, is it good and healthy for the society, not just for the individual? It has to be for both. So when you think of it that way, then morality becomes a whole different type of uh, reality. It comes down to what makes us tick. What, what actualizes our deepest essence of who we are. So it's absolutely connected to spirituality. And absolutely will make you a healthier person. When you stop at a red light, and a green light doesn't necessarily make you a healthier person, even though it creates discipline and creates coexistence and respect and so on. So there, are, there is a side effect like that. But the fundamental step of just pressing your brake and, stay, and staying put while the other car is going the other, in the other direction can pass is a means. It's a means to how we interact and coexist. But then there's the deeper meaning of morality, and that is that it is part and parcel of what makes you being the best you can be and avoiding being something that you shouldn't be. And hence things that you shall do, things you shall not do. If you think of it that way, morality is far more than just behavior or even a set of standards and ethics and laws and rules. It's the essential nature of where your soul and your purpose and mission thrive. 
And that changes the whole picture. Because then, it's not just, as I said, a circumstantial factor, it's an essential factor. And in that context, it is both about the fulfilling our own calling and also fulfilling the higher calling of which the entire world was created. So you'll say, one second, maybe I'm not yet ready to embrace God, a creator, an engineer, as you put it. So is the, does that mean there's no morality? I'm not going to say that. Because number one, I believe firmly that everybody has a sense of recognizing there's some higher, something greater than you and I are. So whether you call it a religious God, or you call it a higher force, or someone we answer to, that is an inherent part of the human condition. Unfortunately, religious connotations have distorted and hijacked and, and actually stolen this fundamental principle from many of us who don't want to associate with the religious side of it, which can be so condescending and judgmental and many other negative associations. But when you think about it, the idea that there's something greater than all of us, and we answer to that, and that's what makes us live up to our calling, our destiny, our mandate. So then the concept of morality goes hand in hand with that. Because that's the how. Being a moral person is the how to fulfill the calling that you were sent here to accomplish. And when you think of it that way, it's, not, it's far deeper and therefore far more motivating to really embrace a moral code. It's not just you're not going to hurt others, that you're going to shine, you're going to look good. It's a more refined behavior. That too. But above all, it does, it does, it's about building and fulfilling and realizing the purpose of your existence. And that adds a completely different dimension. This does not minimize the, even the more immature or childish approach that you have to do something, so you say thank you, you don't take something from someone. That is on a very behavioral level. But what lies at the root of it is this spiritual connection to your calling. So morality then means something very, very different. So let's now talk about absolute and moral relativism. Based on what I'm saying here, the idea of morality is by, fun, by nature one that is absolute. Because it's about what makes you healthy. It's not about just what choice you've made. Now you could say, I'm not sure what's right to do because one person says this, one person says that. That is why when you do look in the Bible and the Torah, you will find clear guidelines. And when it is ambiguous or different approaches, you find that as well. So the key thing is to recognize that there is a guide of how we follow this, but it's based on recognizing there's a purpose. One of the things that bothers me personally, not, I'm not here to challenge science, is that ultimately when human beings are reduced to being sophisticated animals, evolved, what it really un ultimately undermines is the most important thing, that you're just another animal. What you do is not that significant. Responsibility is not that significant because you're wired a certain way. And a leopard cannot change its spots. Like a tiger can't change its stripes. So really, what happens is it alleviates from us. It takes away from us some of the responsibility, that compelling sense of urgency. So it's vital to understand morality in that context because that's what makes you be the best you can be. If it's just a little detail, 
So, okay, you do it today, you do less, you do more. But when it's, it's inherently connected to the fulfillment and realization of the purpose for which you were created, it's a whole different world, a whole different reality. And even every detail and every nuance matters in that way. So then let's go back to the questions we, were, we began with, the questions about relativism and absolute. There has to be something absolute about it. That moral relativism, meaning that any individual, any group of people can choose at a certain time and elect and vote. That something yesterday was, that was immoral is today moral, or something that was moral is today immoral, is a, a tremendous violation of the inherent the inherent structure of what makes us tick. It would be like someone saying, you know what, using your eyes is not such a healthy thing. We have to find a way to suppress your use of vision or sound or taste, touch, and smell, just to use examples. Because it's part and parcel of the whole reality of who we are. They say in the time of the Greeks, the ancient Greeks, so they saw it as compassion. Talk about moral relativism. They saw it as compassion that if a family, God forbid, gave birth to a child that was somewhat compromised mentally, emotionally, psychologically, that they would give the child away. So it shouldn't burn the family and parents. And it was seen as benevolence. To go further, either give it away, and even worse, to kill that child. Newborn children were killed, thrown down mountains, because it was seen as a burden on family, on society, on everyone. And on the individual themselves, let's put them out of their misery, let's put everyone out of their misery. The Jewish people were, were uh, ridiculed for not wanting to go along. You're primitive with this compassionate act. Today, obviously, most people would be horrified by the prospect. Because today we do recognize more soul matters. So here we have a t- classic example of moral relativism. Where one society, one group, would see this as, this is what you do, and another would be repulsed by the idea. Everyone read, I'm sure, the short story of the lottery when we were in high school. Lottery is a brief story. And here's how it goes. It starts with a village. I remember, I'm talking now memory from who knows how long, when I was in high school. It's a village, a small little village. Everybody's happy, go about their way. Then you see the village beginning to prepare for a special day. It feels like a holiday coming. People are buying new dresses and new suits. That day comes, all schools and stores are closed. It's a holiday, special day, solemn day. If you didn't know, you didn't know what the reason was. So the story, of course, is told from the perspective of a newcomer. And the newcomer comes, and yes, the day comes, arrives. No school. Families are lining up. It's like going to uh, a holiday. Going to a prayer service. They all come and gather to the middle of the town. Everyone's anticipating what's going to be. The younger are learning from the older. The custom for this special day. Well, it's not the beginning of... It's not honoring and celebrating the anniversary of the founding of this community. Rather, what do they do? Everyone is expected to throw, to put their name on a piece of paper. They put it into a center barrel or hat, and someone's going to be chosen from the entire community. They pick out the name, the person is chosen, and they're sent to the middle of the circle 
where all the people of the town have lined up in a full circle. And what do they do? Nonchalantly, calmly, without any drama, they stone this person to death. Yeah, that's the punchline. And they then go back to their business. And this they do every year. So I remember when the teacher said to us, so what do we learn from this? So obviously most of the, many of the kids listening knew what we learned. We learned is you take morality in your own hands and then it becomes part of custom. And everyone, you know, that's what we do. No big thing. That is a perfect example of a morality that's brainwashed in people and they can do terrible things. 100 million people lived in Germany during the Holocaust. Not all actively murdered, but they all were silent. So you can say they were silent through to propaganda and Hitler and, 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 and Goebbels and all his henchmen, years and years of propaganda and dehumanizing the Jews and others they found to be inferior. Fine. But still, people went against the grain of a human nature, which is to participate or at least be silent in the face of the killing of innocent people innocent Jews, innocent children, million and a half innocent children, millions of others, innocent, for no other reason killed because of their, their, their Jewish blood. So what we see from this is that what some would call moral, others would call immoral. The same Germans, for the record, they protected with severe laws, pets, dogs, and cats, while they were finding ways to gas the Jewish people. So going back to the Greeks, the Jews refused to go along with that because there was a morality that's higher than what the culture decides, even if it's the consensus. And that is a higher authority. So in that sense, there has to be an element of morality that's not relative. Now, that doesn't mean there, is, there, there isn't any room for relativity. Of course there's room. But not in this extreme context. The people of the lottery became ultimate conformists. This is what you do. You don't even think about it. There, the lesson can be they're brainwashed and never get caught up in a herd mentality. But there are many lessons to be learned. When you realize your conscience feels something is wrong, will you stand up or you're afraid you'll be mocked by those that are, let's say, picking on someone or violating someone in some ways in some manner. Bullying. Communal bullying. We all saw it. We all witnessed it. It has extreme impact on people. So what do you learn from all of this? You learn from all of this that it, there has to be something that absolute. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't nuances. There are many nuances. Nuances to understand the situation, the unique circumstances, but to be able to be objective, you need to talk to someone objective. You cannot come up with your own nuances and, sub and, uh, and uh, decisions based on subjective reasoning, which may be very distorted. This is something we all have to admit and all acknowledge. So what do we came to come away? That's regarding relativism. The reason we can coexist is because even though, yes, there may be different opinions, but there are fundamental, fundamental principles that unite us. The thou shalt not murder unites us. You can argue, a, legal, a law professor can argue, a legal scholar can argue about the nuances of it, which we do argue. 
But there is a foundational principle. Look at the United States. I go back to the United States of America. A country that became a haven. People all over the world. And that, that turned it into a superpower. The nations in, in Europe never achieved that. Because they were controlled. And they were not respected in that way. But when you respect the divine image in every individual, then that itself dictates a moral code. How do you treat that person? How do you treat when the, how do you, be, how do you um, reconcile differences? How do you deal with struggles, with battles, within yourself, within others? That's the essence of biblical thinking about morality. Our responsibility to each other and to ourselves and to others and to the world around us. So the topic touches upon all of that, and it's ultimately that those that embrace life embraced the moral code. Now we have a moral code that's written up. Some people refer to it as the seven Noahide laws, which really cover the spectrum of all laws. If everyone kept them, we already have the final redemption. So briefly, what are those laws? Those laws are the respect of God, not the blaspheme, God, respect of life, not to murder, respect of property, not to steal, respect of sexuality and intimacy, be healthy relations and appropriate relations, not incestuous ones. As I said, so far five. Number six, establish a court of justice, a rule of law. And number seven is protecting life itself, not life as in life and death, but the environment, not to eat a, a limb of an animal while still alive, which represents something much broader, the idea of our responsibility to the environment and the creatures around us. Now these seven break into many more. Some say 90. But if you think about it, they're all principles that every healthy society needs to thrive, to succeed. And again, the United States is an example. Is this country perfect? Of course not. Does it have issues to deal with? Yes. But on an institutionalized level, there's the Bill of Rights, there's the Declaration of Independence, there's a Constitution. Even when we argue about that Constitution, there are principles there, even though it's man-made, that we consider to be absolute. You cannot tamper with that. Someone comes out tomorrow, God forbid. I don't even want to say it out of my mouth. And wants to decree the death upon all, whatever, of any particular group, that someone can feel that way, but the United States is antithetical of that in every possible way because it's built on some absolute. And yes, that's the secret to coexistence. But more than coexistence, cooperation, interconnectivity. And the list goes, and the list goes on. All the other items I spoke about before, whether we can agree or not agree. What, is there room for diversity? The connection to spirituality, the connection to family and so on. All are outgrowth of everything we've been discussing up till now. And the responsibility that we have, the great responsibility that we have. We have young children in our homes, impressionable. They will learn from us. Besides the negative that may have impact, God forbid, they'll also learn from the negative behavior. And they will mimic it until they come to a point in life where they realize what's happening. So we're now in that topic of the morality of the human race, the morality of human beings, until this day, it continues to resonate with us. 
Many of us want to be in environments that are ethical, that are moral, that you know you can trust a word, a promise. And how many of us live in a world that's not that way? So time has come for us to not just revisit, but embrace, celebrate, own, to own. No one owns truth, but to own this concept that we're here to bring that type of truth to each one of us. You know something, you share it. Not because you know more and that person knows less. They may know more than you do. But it's a, it's a symbiosis. It's a, it's a um, cooperative effort with each of us doing our part. And that too is part of the morality, part of making the machine a healthy one. That we all have a give and take. Everyone has their strengths. So in the final analysis, when you talk about um, what does the Bible really say about morality, it's this what I've spoken about and more. When the Jewish people stood at Sinai and they embraced the moral code in a formal way, it was because hundreds of years before that, with Abraham and so on as children, they already had embraced it. But now it was formalized. Because you do your part, then the part from heaven fills in the gaps, meets us halfway, or even sometimes more than that. But it's a tremendous insight, it's a tremendous, a tremendous gift, I would say, to recognize that you were chosen to be here at this moment, in this time, in this situation. And wherever you'll be in the next few days, or next months or years, to think that I've been put here to be able to make some change in destiny. And that's only when you feel that responsibility and gift of recognizing there's a higher calling. The higher calling dictates some moral code. Now, I didn't go into the details of morality, what is moral, what is not moral. It's really out of the scope of this discussion. But that's where the next step should be. My objective is, is to recognize that when we realize the gift of life, the gift of our calling in our lives, that in turn creates a need to have true resources and resources that will um, impact the world around us and impact others to also feel this way. When I hear people who say they don't want to really address this issue, to me it's because they're uncomfortable with this issue. Or they've dismissed it because whenever it was presented to them, it was presented in a very negative way, a very draining way. So my friends, what I want to say on a final note is this. We are moral creatures, not by choice. That's how we were created. We have certain in instinctive and healthy, healthy instincts. There's a word, spitz and finger gefil, which means to feel like the tip of your fingers. You feel a deeper truth. You feel more aligned when you're giving rather than when you're taking. And definitely more alive when you're loving instead of hating. It makes your system work better, healthier, more rhythm, more humility. You become a much greater person as a result. Fine, you want to do it for that reason. That's also a motive, but it's a good motive. And then you express it in your thought, speech, and action. They said, if you think what you thought and you say what you said and you do what you did, you're going to have what? What you had. To infuse that with new energy, with new purpose, with a new project. These are the things that shape the universe, that change the universe. Like a ripple effect 
that ripples through the universe with this shift, with this quiver. And we all have the ability and the capacity to do so. So my objective here is to encourage, to inspire, and hopefully to get feedback. Feedback, thoughts, ideas, comments, in order to enhance these, this program and pro, similar programs. Should we do more of this topic? Maybe more angles, more organized, more structured, more academic? Maybe. But let's begin with one, one that is sorely needed. And the more we talk about this, obviously, the more powerful the message begins to have that ripple effect, as I mentioned. So, this has been Simon Jacobson speaking about what does the Bible really say about morality? Understanding it in the context of the purpose of our existence, the purpose of our beings, and what we can actually do. What we can actually do. I'm just looking to the details of what I wrote up in the description. Yeah. So to conclude with one final note on this, that when we're ethical, what happens is we align things. It's like I mentioned before with the machine. What's good for the machine, it's aligned. The proper tension, but not too much tension. The proper rhythm. Take one, one detail, iota, of a machine, if, how complex it is. If it's not doing its part, there's going to be a place that's going to affect the entire machine. So it just adds to the compelling nature of who we are and what we're capable of doing. May you all be blessed with that moral fortitude and certitude in doing what is right, each in our own way. You can always consult with an objective party and before one, just before one acts, because that helps also channel it, harness it, and not, be, not succumb to one's own doubts and fears and so on. So be a very blessed week, a very beautiful week. We're here every Wednesday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And everyone, have a very good week. See you next week. Please share. Please comment. Please give us your feedback. And as I said at the outset, these programs are also recorded, and therefore they're capable of being able to be seen, podcasts on different platforms, including social media. So with that said, everyone be well. Have a very good week. Thank you.